you guys ready for the word? Well, get your Bibles out and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Amen. Well, this will be the last sermon I'm going to preach on love, but it won't be the last time I preach on love. I can guarantee you that. You know, every time I do this, I learn something. I learn a lot. And because I'm learning a lot, you know, I'll get up and preach it. It doesn't mean I know everything. Lord, I know I don't know everything. But I think that I've left from where I was, and I'm not where I used to be. Amen. I pray all of us have that attitude. Boy, I'm glad I'm growing. Growing in God. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Let's pray. Father, one more time, we're going to open up the Word. And I'm going to ask you to move among our hearts and give us a revelation of your love. Walking in the light of it. So that we have a fruit this side of heaven. And we give you praise and honor for everything you do in this place and the revelation from the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read 13, 4 through 8, and I'm going to read further down today. Love suffers wrong and it's kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Whether there's prophecies, they will fail. Whether there's tongues, they'll cease. Where there's knowledge, it will vanish away. We know in part, we prophesy in part. When that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood as a child. I thought like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now... We see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know as I am known. And now abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, I'm going to go back up and we're going to end today, but we're going to talk about this statement right here. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. Now, the actual rendering in the Greek, because when you read that love never fails, it dures all things, we sort of read that like it just puts up with people. Well, it will just endure one more thing. And in in some instances, I'm sure that we've all put up with stuff. But the literal way this should read is love lasts, and it lasts, and it lasts, and it lasts. It never quits. Now, we're talking about God, talking about the way God is. God never quits. He never gives up, never comes to an end. Now, he goes in here and makes a statement, and he says this, um, whether there's prophecies, they'll fail, tongues, they'll cease, and knowledge will be done away with. He's making an analogy here about the fact that there are things on the earth that eventually will end. And there's a lot of stuff that has an expiration date other than milk. Okay. And it's stuff. So he says prophecies. Let's think about what he says here for a minute. 
because there are prophecies in the Bible about Jesus coming and being born that has been fulfilled, Jesus returning one day that has not been fulfilled, but there is going to come a day when we're going to stand before God and we're going to stand in the fulfillment of everything that the Bible says is coming. So those prophecies have an expiration date. We won't need them anymore. We won't need to go back and read those scriptures anymore because we will be there. Okay, then he makes the statement. He says, tongues will cease. Let me read it to you exactly because I want to make sure. It says, whether they're tongues, they will cease. We, we pray in tongues now because we're, we do see through a glass darkly. We don't know everything. We don't have all knowledge in our head. So there's times that we get up and we go in our room and we pray in the Holy Ghost. We don't know how to pray about that. We pray in tongues. But when you die and you stand before Jesus, you will not need to be walking around heaven and look at someone and say, I'm going to have to go to my room and pray in the Holy Ghost for a little while now. You're not going to need to pray in the Holy Ghost. You know, you, there's people say this all the time to me. I can't wait till I get to question heaven. I got a question for Jesus. Let me tell you something. You ain't going to need to ask him nothing. The time you step into heaven, you're going to go, Oh, I got that. I got that. I got that. So in other words, we're going to know as we are known. You don't need to have a word on the Lord. You got the Lord. You don't need a word from God on healing. You got your healing. You don't need a word. I mean, you are, you have arrived. So in other words, there comes a day when that will cease. Then it says knowledge will cease. Now, that doesn't mean that all knowledge that will be in heaven, there won't be any knowledge. But knowledge as we know it, and even knowledge today, has an expiration date. I, I read an article not too long ago, and, and a man made a statement. He said, if you go into any modern library, you can take any and every book in there over 20 years old and throw it away. Because it's irrelevant. How many of y'all have books at home on Morse code? How to read Morse code. We got Bob Zilkowski. He's got a book on Morse code. Do you think everybody needs that book? No, no I don't need that book. I mean, they, I watch the cowboy movies where that and the guy climbs up and cuts the line so that nobody knows the bad guys are coming. But we're not there today. I mean, we've pretty much done away with more. How many of y'all got a book at home on how to dig a well? Milk a cow. Okay, some of y'all do. Little boy one time walked up to the cow and says, well, I see where the milk comes out. Where would the bottle come from? Had to have been a boy from New York City, right? But, you know, even today, Lisa and I, we, you know, we'll be watching a movie, and um, I don't know whether y'all watch the one, You've Got Mail. That's a cute movie, but, boy, is it dated. I mean, who gets on their, on their emails now on an 8086 computer and it says, you've got mail. Nobody does that anymore, you know. And I'll tell you, oh, 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 Jody does? Okay, no, Michelle. And I'll tell you something else that's funny is when you watch a movie and they open a phone and they flip it. And you go, that's cute. You remember the old Superman movies? He jumped in a phone booth. All the young people are going, what's a phone booth? So the truth is, um, uh, all the stuff that we're using today has an expiration date. 
there comes a day it'll be done away with. Now, I like my truck. I don't love my truck, but there's, it's, it's got 80,000 miles on it right now. There's going to come a day when that truck's not going to be relevant anymore, and I'm going to be trading it in for a new one. Amen? And so there's a lot of things. And I got to thinking about our house we lived in. It's a 1953 house. We've remodeled it. But, you know, one day there's going to be a sign out front. This is when the prophet Daryl Morgan lived. And people, it's going to be a museum. It's going to be, this is his Bible and all that. Like, no, I'm teasing. You know, they do that with Smith Wigglesworth. There's like a, a house that he lived in and, and, and D.L. Moody and Abraham Lincoln. It's nice to go by all these old houses and see the way they lived. Very modern. Really? Fireplaces in there, someone tending the fire all day. And is it Thomas Jefferson's house? He actually invented a door where there's a rope system going to a pulleys and weights in the basement that you could swing the doors open. And in the 1800s, that was modern. You know, the people in the Bible that were rich, you live way better than they do. They had no AC. They had no running water. They had no hot water. So even people in the old days were rich. We don't look back and envy that and want to go back there. No, I don't know anybody that does. Maybe you do. So pot-bellied wood stoves, they're cute. They're nice to look at. They're fun to play with. It's a, it's a terrible thing to live with that, having to cook in a kitchen with that thing. It gets hot in the kitchen, guys, in August when you are cooking cornbread on a, a pot-bellied wood stove because it heats everything up other than the cornbread. So everything that we have right now has an expiration date. And even the stuff you have now, in 20 years from now, will be outdated. Now, I'm going to tell you another thing that's a shock. Most of what you're learning in college, most jobs won't even exist in 20 years. What a statement. That's, a, that's almost depressing. I read an article not too long ago about the future of nursing. You pick up your phone, you place your thumb on it. It will send your vitals to the doctor, read your heart rate, fix, check everything on you, and, you're, and a new, uh, the new nurses will be a person sitting in a room checking your vitals on your phone at home. In other words, they just eliminated nurses. I also know this for a fact. Are y'all ready? Walmart already has this. And I don't know whether Jody has experienced this or not. There is a system to where whenever you go to Sam's Club or Walmart, there's a barcode that when the, they deliver the goods, it's scanned coming in the building. Within 20 years, you'll go to Walmart, pick up something, and just walk out with it. It'll scan it and take it out of your credit card when you leave the door. Yeah, and there, there won't be a cashier or cash register. So I know that y'all are going, ah, that sounds like the mark of the beast. And, well, we're headed there. Not I, but amen. But here's the issue. Things don't last. So when the Bible says love lasts, that's a powerful statement. Because now here's what I'm going to say to you. We do a lot of stuff. I have things I enjoy doing. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you on one of them. Where'd Lisa go? She's still here? I'll get her tell on. 
Lisa and I do a thing called Bodacious Date Day. And what, what we do is that I, I get to invent a date day, and the next one, she's got to try to outdo me. So yesterday when we woke up, I went and got the jet ski. I put it in Trimble Park, told her to get on her water shoes and her shorts, and I took her to Mount Dora to the uh, seafood festival. Then we got on the jet ski and went to Tavares to a restaurant, and we had fish with, stuffed with crab meat covered in shrimp. And uh, then after that, we got on the jet ski and went to, went to Lake Harris and went swimming. And then we got home or almost home for the thunderstorms hit. And we got real wet on the way home. What a date. So, so we do those things because we, we enjoy being with each other. But, but, but on the way there, we noticed the new jet skis. They came by in the canal. And so Lisa's eyeballing the new jet skis because she has an old one. And so old by new one standards. And so she's talking about her birthday. And I said, your 60th? She said, no. But there comes a day when the jet ski will be gone. The things we have will be gone. So you don't want to build your life around things. Because after a while, you've wasted your life. And there's too much of us, and there's nothing wrong with things. I love our jet ski. I love our boat. I love our con- the swimming pool. I love our kayak. Everything Lisa has has water in it. Amen. So... I think she's a mermaid. So, so, so anyway, I, you know, we have things, but, but we need to learn to use things and love people and not l- love things and use people. So we've got to start learning that if you're going to walk in love, there comes a time when you've got to understand that only what you did in love will last. Now think about what I just said for a minute. The only thing that's going, to take, that's going to take last over time is what you did for people. It's the most valuable thing you have is friends and family and people. Now, what a statement. Because I think too often we don't place the value on the people around us over our husband or our wife or our children, and we sort of think it'll always be this way, and we're not taking the time we need with them, we're spending it on something that has very little value. When I was, when the kids were younger, I made a point to to spend a lot more time. You know, when Che and Ashley were growing up, I was very much into going to Bible school and going to work. And so, you know, there were things I did with them. But as you get older, you get a little, hopefully you get smarter. So by the time I married Lisa and we had the boys, I started learning a lot more of the value of spending time with the kids. They only grow up once. Then after that, it's gone. You know, there comes a time. You cannot go back. When they're in their 20s and try to capture what you lost when they were 10, they're gone. Let them grow up and be an adult. Well, that was a word for somebody. Hallelujah. But you have to love them when they are adults differently than when they were kids. You got to, you know, when I sit with, I have dinner with Shay now or I take off. And I, I love going places with the grandboys, um, uh, doing things with them. But you know what? I have to treat them as adults. 
I can't treat them like they're my grandsons. You got to let them. You, they, got a, they got a brain of their own. They got a mind of their own. They, they got ideas of their own. And you've got, you've got to sit and learn to work with people where they are. But anyway, um, I, I got to thinking about my life one day, and I got to looking at what all I was doing. And I realized I haven't spent the time with people that I wished I had. So I made an adjustment. I said, from this day forward, I will no longer let the time with people go by. I won't take that as a small thing I, because that's the only thing that lasts for eternity. So though in 20 years, the jet ski will be gone, 20 years, the truck will be gone. In 20 years, Che will not, Cody will not, uh, Reagan and Rachel, my granddaughters will not my relationship with Lisa, and my relationship with you. You are a great investment because you and I are going to be together forever. So whatever I pour into you and whatever you pour into each other, you have done something eternal. That's a powerful statement. And I think sometimes we need to think about that. Okay, let me read this to you. Eternal life is to know God. Go to John 17, 3. I want you to see this in your Bible. Seventeen three, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ in whom you have sent. How long does a sinner live? Forever. Alone. You know what happens to them when they, go, when they die and go to hell? They're alone. They will never talk to another human being forever. You'll cry and no one will hear you. That's, that's called hell. And there's people that are in hell now on earth. They're walking around in hell because they're lonely. They're alone. They don't have relationships. They don't have friends. But then what makes heaven heaven? If hell, hell is the absence of God. That is the definition of hell. God ain't there and Jesus ain't there. And if you're there, it's hell. So what makes heaven heaven? God is there. Jesus is there. Who else is there? You are. People are there. And the fact that you get to be with people and interact with people for all eternity, that's what makes heaven heaven is the fact that there is someone there that loves you. All right, now I'm going to make a statement to you. You were not designed to walk this earth and not be loved. You need it. We all need somebody that loves us. Well, I'm going to let you think about it a minute. Therefore, there are people here that need you to love them. All right, I'm going to read something. It's very powerful. Eternal life never ends. So eternal love never ends. To reject Jesus is to reject love. Rejecting love is eternal. To love abundantly is to live abundantly. Eternal life is bound up with love. We want to live forever for the same reason we want to live tomorrow. Why do you want to live tomorrow? What do you have to do tomorrow? 
there are people. Now, I hear mothers make this statement. I would have gone home to be with the Lord, but my children need me and my grandchildren need me. Oh, that's a powerful statement. Lisa and I have learned something about seniors, and I wished it wasn't true. Very often when one spouse dies, within a year the next one dies. Because they lost the reason to live. Unless they meet someone else and fall in love again. Or unless their family is there and they have a reason to be here. I've told many a mama when their husband died, your children and your grandchildren need you. You don't need to be going home right now. But if they get their eyes off of it, it isn't long that they die. Okay, let me finish reading this. So y'all, y'all are listening good. It is when, okay, there is no other reason why we would live than we love and to be loved. It is when a man has no one to love him that he ends his own life. Hopelessness causes people to commit suicide. Now, we have people like that all around us. So why did God make a church? Why did he put the church in the earth? Because you need people. There needs to be unconditional love. Somebody needs to love you and know you're here and know how you're doing. And then somebody needs you. So God puts you in a body full of people, full of agape. Because a sinner does not have agape. The world love system is a failure. Because when a world, when someone in the world says, I love you, that means until I don't need you anymore. That's phileo love. Phileo love is bankrupt love. That's not true love. God's love for you is eternal. That means if he said he loved you today, he loves you tomorrow. He loves you when you're good. He loves you when you're bad. He loves you when you're ugly. And his love does not change because of you. Because he loves you because he's good, not because you and I are good. So because of that... We can love unconditionally. So God puts you in a church so that you're going to need the love that you need. We don't have that time in this church of hugging just to be cute. Now, I went through a season in my life, and, um, and, I, and, and I don't like to talk about this, but I will. When I went through my first divorce, the hardest thing for me to go to was church. Do you know why? Because the people there rejected me. They didn't ask me who caused it. They didn't care. Divorce in, in, in society has become like the, the, the A on, on women's clothing, the adultery, the scarlet letter. And society didn't know what to do with someone who's divorced. And I mean, there was times when I would pay you, just somebody love me. You go to a church and then you go through a hard time and the church turns its back on you? That's hard. Divorce is hard. 
It's rejection. It means there was a person in your life whom you loved and one day they walked. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? It is extremely difficult. So there should be a place on earth that you have a safe zone and you can walk through the doors and those people, whether you're good, bad, or ugly, which makes you a cowboy, love you anyway. That should be the church. So when I started pastoring, I made it a point. You come in here, somebody is going to grab you and hug you. Now, we don't know which one of y'all needed it because maybe everybody needed it. But you're not going to have to pay anybody to hug you in this place. Now, we've had people that came up and went, I don't like that hug. Well, hang around a while. You'll be the worst hugger in the building after about six months. It's, 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 uh, it's contagious. I love hugging on people. I always tell the young girls, I said, the only reason I can hug you is because I'm the pastor and Lisa lets me. But I'm really hugging you because you're pretty and I just want to give you a big hug. That really is not true. I just, but, I, but I have learned over time, there are times when I needed to know somebody loved me. Usually at my lowest. Usually when I've messed up. And that's why we have church. And that means that there's people in here today only because you love them. They come because they go, I, I, I got to go someplace where somebody cares about me. Amen. Amen. And so we are really a family. Whether you like it or not, you have nuts on your tree. <laughs> it is when a man has no one to love him, he ends his life. So long as he has friends, those who love him whom he loves, he will live. Because to live is to love. That becomes the greatest thing in your life. Go to 1 John chapter 4. Is this helping you? Yeah. How would you like to live on the earth thinking that God doesn't love you? How would you handle it? I mean, what would you do? I mean, think about this for a minute, and I've given this thought. What would you do if you were sitting here right now and Jesus hadn't died, and you know that when you die, you're going to hell? How would you handle life? You couldn't. You couldn't handle it. When I die, I'm going to hell forever. I'll live forever in hell. It would scare you so bad you couldn't live. So this is the reason why the gospel must be preached. Because we live with people and around people all the time that are living without hope. And we work with them. And you know what they need? They need love. I, I, I didn't say they were good people. I didn't say they deserved it. I said they need love. And very often you might be the person. That reaches out to them. I told a story earlier on. In, in, in Mel Tari's book, Like a Mighty Wind, there was a woman that came to church every Sunday and said, I want to put in a, re a prayer request for my husband to be saved. 
And Mel Tari pulled her off to the side and said, how long have you been praying for him? She said, long time. He's a heathen. He's mean. And he said, well, do you cook for him? She goes, no, I don't. Cooking for that sorry thing. He's a heathen. He said, do you make sweet love to him? She goes, I do not. I ain't getting no, he is a heathen. He said, well, then who would want your God? He said, you really want him saved? Why don't you go home and treat him like he is saved? Boy, she didn't like that a bit. But she began. She began treating him well. Folks, listen to me. Nobody said that we agreed with the way people act. But I'm going to tell you something. The meanest people on the earth still need love. We had a boy show up at our house when we lived in Paisley, and he was in that satanic cult. Black pants, black shirt, black hair, dyed it black, cold black. Black eyeshadow on, black fingernails. He looked like hell. I don't know what he was trying to do, intimidate me. I grabbed him and hugged him. I grabbed him up. Stand up here. Stand up. We're not going. We, I know you ain't no devil boy. He came up. He came up in the head. He's like, ha, and I went, hey, brother. Get, I, oh my God, I love you. I just love you. Oh, I love you. He had no idea what to do with me. And, and I'm going to tell you something. Lisa and I started watching him warm up. Why is he acting that way? He has grown up in a home with a daddy that didn't love him and a mama that didn't love him. And I'm going to tell you, that's been his reaction to the world. Now, I didn't say I agreed with the way he dressed. I didn't say, and his girlfriend ended up getting born again. And I'm going to tell you all, woo, Lisa asked me to bring her to church with Jordan and Justin. Man, I wanted to stop the truck and put her out. She talked about the stupidest, sometimes the most nonsense, I don't want to say vulgar because they weren't. She starts singing a song called I Kissed a Girl. I went, I I said, what are you singing? I mean, she's a little heathen. And on the way to church, I'm going, oh, help her, Jesus. Oh, help her, Jesus. And the boys loved on her, and Lisa loved on her. And I remembered one night in youth that Josh Brown gave an altar call, and she went forward and received Jesus. And I mean, night and day, she changed like that. Turned out to be the sweetest little thing, and she never wanted to kiss another girl. Are y'all out there? I mean, it's tough sometimes to love ugly folk because Jesus loves them and they need it. They don't do good because they're not being loved. I'm going to read this right here. You're all ready? 1 John 4, 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him 
because he first loved us. Now, that's a powerful statement. You and I both know this. I'm going to make a statement to you. We got people in here right now. You have a husband or a wife or somebody that does not love you. And it's not easy to go home. You're going to have to get your love from God. You can come to church and get it, but we're not married to you. You're going to have to get it from God. If God loves you, then you can receive love and be loved. You do not have to run around the planet despondent. If he cares about you, he's going to take care of you. Because until you receive his love, you don't have any to give away. So if you're not fellowshipping with God, you have no love to give. That's why you're running around the planet going, ain't nobody love me, ain't nobody love me. Well, God loves you, and if you were to spend time with God, you'd have some to give away, and you might get some back. See, the earmark of the church, it says they will know you by your love because the only people on the earth that have the ability to love as God is a born-again man or woman. The world does not have the ability. So don't freak out when you notice that their love ain't all that sharp. What about yours? Come on. Now, it's time for you and I to love, and, and, and when, you see, when you and I see a need, and I, I'm going to get ahead of myself, go to Matthew 25. The foundation, your whole life is based on one thing. He loves me. And there are times when he might be the only one that loves you. Oh, don't shout me down. I'm going to tell you this. I've had people walk, and it, don't, it, it hurts You never get used to it. You will never get used to rejection. It is very difficult to make a friend and them walk. But you're going to have to get over it. You're going to have to get your love from God. And then you're going to have to pray. And you're going to have to give some love away. You can't just crawl in a hole and die. But knowing he loves me is a good reason to wake up tomorrow morning if God loves me. And the devil is constantly telling you he don't. He don't love you. Why would all this bad stuff happen to you if he loved you? And he's constantly telling you God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. You know, there are times when people cannot get a hold of God, but they can get a hold of you. I'm going to tell you a story. I didn't tell it the first service, but there was a girl, and I told you this earlier, and she got into, she got into adultery. And I asked her, I said, why'd you do that? She said, I want someone to hold me. Now, that's no excuse, but that was before she was saved. And um, it's amazing what people would do. But I was in church service one morning, and um, I was making the announcements in Tom's church. And the Lord said to me, there's a young lady here, call her up. 
And I may start crying. He said, you call her up and just hug her. I thought, okay. And I looked at her and I said, would you please come up here? Well, she looked at me and dropped her eyes. Like, oh my God, don't tell everybody. And I didn't tell anybody anything. And she came up in the front. I held her in my arms and she just lost it. She started crying and she wept and she wept. And I looked at her and I said, Jesus asked me to hold you. And she just, I held her and, you know, we just stopped the whole service. She just cried and I held her and then she looked at me and she said, thanks. And sat down. After church, I walked up to her and I said, what happened? She said, I got raped last night. You know, sometimes you don't need a word of knowledge. Sometimes you just need a hug. And, and she, she felt so worthless. She said, God, why? Do you love me? And that morning, he said, I want you to hug her for me. You're his hands and you're his feet. And, and, she, and she was able to, you know, she got what she needed in church that day. That she may have, that may have not been, I don't know how her life would have turned out. But maybe just one hug. Are y'all out there? And I mean, listen, folks, there's people in this room right now. They've been through some stuff. And it's hard. Life is hard when no one cares. But when you know God loves me, and then we will add to it, people love me. I got some good friends. When you know that, there's a reason to wake up in the morning. And there's one more reason. Now that he loves me, now I can love. If he doesn't love me, I'm not going to love you. I can't give away what I don't have. But because he loved me unconditionally, you know, the day I got born again was not because he healed me. He healed me because he loved me. I went to church cussing. I went there a dope-smoking heathen. I came home a redeemed son of God because I got there and I met God. God. He healed my body. He filled me with the Holy Ghost. He saved my soul. He loved me when I wasn't worth it. And I went home a born again Christians washed in the blood of Jesus. Don't think that didn't change my whole life. That's not theology. My God, that's reality. And now understand that changed me and that's why I'm still the way I am today. It totally changed me. If he loves me that much, I'll do anything he asks me to do. Okay. Go to Matthew 25. Well, we're doing good. Love last and last and last and last. Aren't you glad that you know he's not going to leave you tomorrow? Aren't you glad that when he says, I'm going to come get you, you know he's going to come get you? Aren't you glad to know that even though you may have missed it, he didn't leave when things got hard? Amen. Now, some people don't understand our walk with God, but I'll tell you something. Now, he is my best friend. Amen. So, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of his angels with him, 
He'll sit on a throne in his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate them one from another as a shepherd divides sheep from goats. And he'll set the sheep on his right hand, the goats on the left, and the king will say on his right hand, Come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared before the foundation of the world. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. And picked. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will say, Lord... I don't think we've ever seen you hungry and fed you. I don't think I ever remember giving you anything to drink. We never saw you a stranger and took you in naked or clothed you. When did we ever see you sick in prison come to you? And the king said, Assuredly, in so much as you did it to one of the least of these mine brethren, you did it to me. Now, now to love God is to love his family. You can't love God if you don't love his family. You can't love God and not love people. So you can gauge your love for God by how you treat each other. I told a story about Mrs. Young, our neighbor. There are times God puts you places on purpose. He wants you to see something. Well, Lisa has a jet ski. I told you about that. And uh, I told him that you've been eyeballing a new one. So... We lock it up so that nobody will borrow it. So I went down one evening and put the lock on it because we had left the lock off. And I said, I'll go down and take care of it, put the cover on it. When I did, I saw our next door neighbor, two, two doors down, a woman walking around on a roof. And Lisa says she's 81 years of age. I thought she was 89, Lord. I said, I said, what are you doing on your roof? She said, I have a leak. And I'm thinking, you know, drip, drip, drip. It wasn't. It was a flood. The hurricane had blown all of her roll roofing off and curled it back so that all the water coming down the roof was running underneath the other roofing and flooding her house. And it's fixing the rain. I went, you can't walk up on someone's roof and walk away and say, well, be blessed. Because she ain't going to fix it. And she ain't got no money. So guess who's fixing to fix the roof? Guess who God took? I'm I'm thinking, you know good and well why you set me up. So anyway, I'm fixing to leave for Texas, and we went. I, I ran. I ran that afternoon and got her a roll, one roll of roof, and got up there and nailed it down. There was one area that was real bad, and so I covered it up. And I said, I said, um, I'm leaving for Texas, and and I'll be back. And I know that's going to cover. That's going to fix ninety percent of it today. But anyway, when I got home, I told Lisa. I said, We got some good weather. I'm going over Miss Young's today. I said, and I took Josh with me. Because I knew good and well, a 140-degree roof and a 64-and-three-quarter-year-old man ain't going to work real good. And I knew there'd come a time when i just peter out up there, and I did. I did. And, and I got up and rolled the roof out, and me and Josh tarred it. And after about four hours, I looked at Josh and said, you got to finish it. Daddy's going to get a bath and go to bed. I am done. <laughs> and I left, and um, 
Josh finished tarring it all up and nailed the whole thing down for her. Well, she called us last night and said, oh, by the way, we haven't had any water in the living room since. Now, let me ask you a question. What would you do? You know, just because you see something, when you, when you see a need, it might be God showing it to you. And it's always an inconvenience. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. So listen to what I'm going to say. The only thing that you can take with you when you die is what you did in love. You can't take your jet ski. You can't take your money. You can't take your fishing pole. But you can take the people you helped. And so the, the memories that you have right now that are precious to you are the times you did something for someone else. I want you to think about that for a while. All the things we do during our life mean nothing except what we did for people. Right. I'm thinking about right now in, in, uh, in India, getting to go preach the gospel in a nation where they had no idea about Jesus. And I watched a woman run forward that night and scream, I didn't know you did it for me. I didn't know you did it for me. And, and we showed her the Jesus film. We took the Jesus film package over there. And, and they love films in India. And we taught them how to use it. And they're going from village to village to village. And to watch that woman run during the film and begin to scream, I didn't know you did that for me. Realize one week, two weeks in India. It, folks, India, not a vacation spot. I mean, I slept in beds that were five feet long. I'm 5'10". And they're made out of rope. There's no mattress on it. I've slept in places where there's mosquitoes that come in and no seams bite you during the night. I've slept in things, and I'm thinking of Sandy. Where's Sandy? Do you remember Ragged Island? Woke up in the morning with goats licking our faces. <laughs> What's funny is that I think it was somebody said, that goat's licking my face. And somebody said, yeah, while well, ago he's licking my feet. They get their water off the roof. That's the only drinking water they get is when it rains. It comes off the roof. They catch it in barrels. You know, you think about the things that we've done in our life that has benefited other people. I'm thinking about the fact that Lisa did children's camp for so many years and watched children after children run forward and get saved. I think of Jeannie Bowser going over here to the mobile home park and, and praying and gathering these kids up, doing Good News Kids Club. Hundreds of children have been born again because of this girl. That's, that's doing something with your life. Now, I'm not saying that you should, that I'm not calling you into the ministry right now, but all of us are called. We're all called to love one another. When you see a need, that's really a call. You step in there and go, now, I'm going to tell another story. I didn't tell it earlier, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying you're to do this. But you remember the movie, The Machine Gun Preacher? Do you know where that began? This was a biker that was a bad man. He was very bad. Does anybody remember his name? Sam Childers. Sam Childers. He shot up a bar here in Apopka back in the 60s up there uh, where the burger where the Dairy Queen is now there's a bar there he shot it up took a gun and shot the bar up 
burned it down. Literally, he's a bad guy. Well, he got born again, gave his heart to Jesus, and his pastor took him to Uganda on a missions trip. I mean, he's still a rough man by any stretch. I talked to him one night when he was having a conversation with the head of the Hell's Angel here, and I got to minister to the president of the Hell's Angels one night. Anyway, Sam Childers goes to Uganda. Now, you know, this, is a, this, is a, this is a gory story. He's walking down a dirt road, and there is an arm of a child laying in the dirt. An arm. And he comes home, and he goes, what is this? And they said, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. He's, he started seeing body parts of children laying on the side of the road. And he said, what are y'all doing about this? And they said, nothing. They said, we have these guys running around out here. They're rebels, and they get these children, and they bring them in. And if they don't obey, they kill them, cut them up, and throw them on the side of the road. Well, he comes home. He said, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't stand it. He said, I cannot live with myself knowing that in Uganda there's people killing kids. So he got him a gun and went back. He said, I got me a military force. There's about a dozen of them. We got AK-47s, AR-15s. He said, we took a Toyota pickup truck and started roaming through the jungles. Whenever the, whenever the rebels would burn down a village, we would find children scattered and hiding in the bush. He said, we built an orphanage. He said, I don't have time for this. He said, when I'm home, I couldn't stand being away. And when I was there, I couldn't stand being there because my family's at home. He said, it tore me up, but I could not walk away knowing that there are children out here in this bush starving and nobody is helping them. And he says, we got in firefights, guns with rebels. He said, not one of my men has ever taken a bullet. God puts angels around us. We, none of us have ever been shot. And we have been in a lot of fights. And he has an orphanage over there now. And, and he has a garden. It's got a fence around it. And they still go out in the bush and pick up kids. Well, the fighting has gone down. And now he's starting to train these kids. But you know, here's the point. How do you see a need and walk away? You can't. Nothing else matters. You can't get on someone's roof and see that it's an old woman and see it's leaking and you walk away and say, be blessed. Are y'all out there? This is, this, is, this is love. I was hungry. You fed me. I was sick. You visited me. Is what we do for people, is it important? It absolutely is important. And there's no one man that can do it all. You didn't hire me to go to the hospital for your relative. Don't shut me down. There are people, there's people right now that need some help. And I'm not saying you... you take care of everybody you meet I was driving down the road one day here and I, I'm near uh, the hunt club 
old Vietnam vet in a wheelchair with a cup. Now he's wanting some money. And I just decided, nah, he needs more money. He needs somebody to love him. I just pulled over in my truck, got out, grabbed a chair and walked up and sat down with him. I said, what's your name? He told me his name. I said, tell me what happened to you. I spent about an hour with this guy. I got things to do, folks. You know what he needed that day? He just needed somebody to love him. I handed him some money, all the money I had in my wallet. And I said, I just want to let you know, I thank you for what you did for our country. And I want to let you know, I love you and Jesus loves you. I want to pray with you. Prayed with him. He says, I am a Christian. I said, well, I'm going to pray for you. Now, listen, he needed money. Everybody needs money. He also needed someone to sit and talk to him. Are y'all too busy? Because you need to go with being so busy. You want to hear about another guy? I got all day. <laughs> There's an old Haitian that picks up aluminum cans in Mount Dora. His name is William. He calls himself Willem. And, and he don't speak English. He speaks Creole, but he speaks a little bit of English. And so one day I'm driving by, and he has a white hard hat on. So the next time you see him, you go, that's William. Stop and give him some money. So anyway, I'm driving by one day, and, um, and, I, and I pulled my truck around and ran up, and, and I said, your name's William. And, and it looked like it scared him because he's like, he don't know what I'm going to do to him. And I said, you need some money? He goes, yeah. And so I pulled out and emptied my wallet in his hand. He goes, thank you. And I said, Willem? He goes, I said, your name? He goes, yeah. Because he told me like a year before. And I said, I love you. He goes, thanks. So one year I found he lives in a shack. And I, and I had somebody take him Thanksgiving dinner and, and all the fixings. And I don't know how he cooked it. I hope he has some way of, I hope he can make a fire. But now there's not a lot I can do for this guy, but to stop and love on him and pray for him and tell him about Jesus and give him some money. He's just a lonely old man. Come on, y'all. You don't have, to, I didn't stop being a Christian because I started pastoring a church. Now you've seen me, there's times I used to go overseas more. I don't know whether God told me to do that or not. You say to the Lord, tell you, there's a couple times he did. But I think sometimes I just like to go and, and minister to people. When I went to Haiti, and uh, Faith Frederick asked me to come to Haiti. Now, I've been to Haiti. The preachers there preach a combination of Christianity and voodoo. They just mix it all up in one big bag and preach it all. If they hear it preached, they preach it. So I knew that when she started a Bible school, I knew most of the preachers there weren't even born again. So she asked me, says, would you go? I said, absolutely, I'll go. Feel like it? No. Want to? No. Slept in a hotel with a little window unit in it? Nah, that don't do, that don't mean nothing. Hot. The room, there's no AC in this room, and they want you to wear a suit. Lord, have mercy, why? I don't know. I mean, 10 minutes into the sermon, I, I can wring water out of my jacket. I'm, I'm drinking water and sweating. Well, you said like a pig. I don't know if pigs sweat. And I preached to them all day for, for four days on redemption. At the end of the week, I gave an altar call 
and got them born again. And then I said, now we're going to get you filled with the Holy Ghost. Got everyone on. I mean, I, ne I never saw Pentecost until that day. The Holy Ghost blew in that room and hit those Haitians, and they all started speaking in tongues. And I'm just sitting there watching them speak in tongues. And then some of them jumped up and started. They're not Pentecostals. They don't know nothing about dancing and all that. They never went to church. So they jumped up and they're going, oh, and they're starting to dance and I'm watching it. And all of a sudden it subsided. And all of a sudden another wind blew in the building and, and they jumped up and started spinning and speaking in tongues and dancing. And, and then after about five minutes, it subsided. And the third time the Holy Ghost came, I sat down. He, he blew the meeting up. These kids were running, jumping over chairs. And I said, God, you start, you, you got this rest of this meeting. And I just sat down. But I left there knowing I had done something eternal. I turned 32, preachers loose, full of God in Haiti with a, with a message of the love of God and redemption. Of course, I was glad to come home, sleep in my bed, drink clean water, take a shower that with water that's clean. Are y'all out there? Did you go home? But now those are good memories for me. The memories of the things I cherish the most are the things that I did with someone else. Those are eternal. They will last forever. Now, let me close with this. There's people in this room right now that are very precious to me because you got saved here. Can I embarrass a couple of you? Ronald, did you get saved in this church? Yes, <laughs> Don't y'all love Ronald? Yeah. Isn't he a handsome fella? Yeah. I hate to have to beat him in paintball. I really do. <laughs> Donna, stand up for a minute, please. Come on, just, just stand up and wave everybody and turn around. I remember the day Donna walks into Lisa's office and asks her a question about Jesus. And Lisa led her to the Lord. Beautiful lady. And then Crystal sat down with her after that and started teaching her the Bible. Now, we know Donna's not a perfect human being, but then who is? But isn't she beautiful? Yes. You know, I just thank God for this church. There's, there's a lot of Donnas in here. You can sit down. We'll go to Rosa. Rosa was a mess. I say that because she lets me. Yes, I do. Let me tell you something. This is one of the finest people you'll ever meet in your entire life. When we were down in Honduras and I turned her loose and told her to go preach, it thrilled me to no end. Hearing her preach, give an altar call and watch your people get saved. Because I remember the Sunday she came, not married, living in sin, living. Man, she was one uncomfortable woman sitting in here. She's like a rabbit in a beagle pen. And she got up and came forward and received Jesus and started walking with God. What a beautiful woman. Now, we could go around the room. We could literally go around this room. I don't know who all in here. But we love you guys. We do. We love you. You're in a place where people care about you. I got to hear this young lady give her testimony the other day. Boy, she touched my heart. I, I hate to hear 
young ladies like this, desperate. But I'm glad God heard her prayer. And I was so glad she walked in our church and let us love on her. And watching what God is doing in her right now, absolutely beautiful woman. Watch what God has done. You have no idea. This is a this is a this is a neat place. This is the best. This is the best six acres in the city. God is a hunk of hunk of burning love. Can I tell y'all another story? I wasn't going to tell you any of this stuff. I may I may lose it here a minute, but y'all just bear with me, please. When I got saved, I was afraid of God. Even though I got born again, I was afraid of him. I I always did not know because everybody in my life, the love they had for me was conditional. My dad walked when I was in third grade and never saw him much after that. That has an effect on you. And then when I started school, many of y'all know this, I wore clothing handed down by my cousin. And I invented knickerbockers. All All of my pants... All of my clothes look like this. And, and, I, and they made fun of me. The teacher made fun of me. And so I became introvert because of that. Wouldn't talk to people. And so my mom and dad were divorced. And when I grew up, that, that wasn't common. So, you know, you, you get picked on by kids and, and adults. So I grew up like that. So when I got born again, you kind of have an image that God might be like your dad. You know, I don't know how long you're going to hang out with me before you walk. One night I'm laying in the bed and I'm praying. And I said, God, I just, he was doing so much for me. He just doing something for me and he did something else for me. And I'm laying in the bed and I'm just weeping. And I'm going, God, thank you. And I said, can I see you? He said, no, but you can see my glory. And I left my body. He took me to heaven. Mm. I got to walk in the throne room. Angels were singing everywhere, and all of the angels sound like one voice. One male voice. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. It's like one male and thousands and thousands of speakers. And so I turned around and walked into the throne room, and um, I stepped into a river of liquid love. It ran through my body. It ran through me. It ran over me. You didn't die in it. You didn't drown. And I saw it came out of his belly. And God is love. He is love. And he asked me a question. He said, why don't people listen to me? Well, at the time, I said, I don't know. I just kind of, I haven't been saved long enough to know why (laughs) I does it. And so right after he said that to me, he leaned forward. He was sitting on the throne. I couldn't, I could see a form, but he was behind what appeared to me was a green glass. Huge green glass. It's huge. And I could see fire coming out behind the glass, just, just blowing through heaven. And it's extremely impossible to tell you what it was like because there's no English words that explain that. That's why Paul made that statement. He says, I don't know a man went to heaven. He says, he spoke words that, um, that are non-utterable. You, there is no English word f- to explain what you see. So God leaned over and he said, and all heaven went quiet. 
And he said, why don't people listen to me? I said, I don't know. And then he took his face and put it in his hands and he began to weep over us, over people. He said, why don't people listen? And I fell on the floor weeping my guts out. I said, God, you're, you're killing me. And I just sat that river of love was washed over me and washed over me. And that's where I came up with the term, he's a hunk of hunk of burning love. Because there's not another way to describe his character. He's just love. He loves everybody. There's a lot of stuff happens on the earth. It's not his fault. The world has, bl- the church blames God for everything. The only way you and I will ever walk in love is to spend time with him. Because you'll never do it. If you're not receiving it, you won't give it away. So that night, the the vision was for me. It wasn't for me to preach it like I'm doing now. Because I've had times in my life when I didn't listen to him. Are y'all okay? I I haven't done everything he's ever told me to do. Some things he told me to do, it scared me. I thought, I want to do that. That'll cost me more than I want to pay. But in the long run, he's always had my interest at heart. But God loves us. He loves every one of us. And you and I have to draw near to him. And as you do, you're going to become like him. And you're going to find yourself loving people. And that's the way you know a person's in fellowship with God. You can watch a person by the way they treat people and go, that guy knows God. And you can watch people who are not nice and you can go, he he may be a Christian, but he don't know God very well. Because the more you get to know him, the more you become like him. So what that does, it takes all of this love out. You have to read this book and, and do all these things. No. He's showing you what love is like. But I'm telling you, when you get around him, you're going to start acting like him. You walk in the throne room where he loves you unconditionally. When you come out, you're going to be fun to be around. <laughs> so a lot of times people have issues and you just need to go to God. In the meantime, there's a church that loves you. And there's people that love you. Amen? Did y'all learn anything? Now, this subject, how do you preach a subject that is God? And end it. There's no ending. There is no end to this subject. I don't know whether I've helped you or not. But my goal in life is to be more like him. My goal is to be a more loving husband. That's a personal goal. My goal is to be a better dad. My goal in life, my purpose is to be a better pastor. My goal is to love you better. Now, that's, that's quite an ambition because I hadn't, certainly haven't arrived. But I'll tell you something. I left, and I'm going to ask you to do this with me. I'm not asking you to, to promise to be perfect and never miss it again. You will. We all have broken God's heart. I watched, I watched his heart breaking over things we do. And that was rough on me. 
to see him that way. He's not mean at all. Very kind. Very, very kind. But the world's waiting on you. Your family's waiting on you. People around you right now, they need God. And the only God they're ever going to see will be you. If they don't see Jesus in you, they will never see him. So you might be the only Jesus some people will ever see in their life. But you and I have a mandate from God. They will know us by our love. If he loves you, then it's time for us. We love because he first loved us. It really is time for all of us in this room to pick this mantle up. And, 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 and quit trying to be spiritual, just be nicer. Quit trying to be spiritual, just be more loving. Quit trying to be so spiritual, just be more helpful to people. You see a need around you, you do everything in your power to fix it. Now, I didn't roof her whole house. I didn't have that kind of money. But I did climb up there and fix it for her. And I have a sneaky feeling that's not the last thing I'll be doing for her. I did notice her gate doesn't work. I already talked to Art. I said, Art, you need to be more loving. I'm going to call you up one day. You need to help me with this woman's gate. I love loving on people. I love sitting with that vet. I love helping that woman next door. I love spending time with my wife. I love riding around on a jet ski, even if it is an older one now. So where are you taking me on the next bodacious date? It's a secret. How long have we been married? 32 and a half years? And we still date? I'm a good man. And you're a good woman. The other night in seniors, they started asking her to play songs. I told her, how do you remember all those songs? And she played them all on her guitar, except for one. There was only one that she was able to play. She said, I'll learn it though. I'm impressed with her. I have a good wife, don't I? Yeah. It does no good to hang around people. A house is not a home until love is in it. Every child in this earth born has a right to grow up in love. Every child. If there's a group of people on the planet that should be the most loving, it should be Christians. This world needs Jesus, so it needs you. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity you gave me today. This is an awesome responsibility to come and preach to people you died for on the cross and shed your blood for. And you've placed them in a church and and it's my responsibility to walk in here on a Sunday and, and preach the Bible to them. And Father, I pray that today we said something that caused them to, to change or to have a better life or a better day. I pray for everybody in the sound of my voice that if there's people in here not being loved, that you'd send someone across their path or maybe you someone in this church 
And if there's somebody that they need to love on, that you would speak to them and show them that they need to go minister to certain people. Because it's only what we did for you. It's only what we did for people. That's going to last forever. Everything else has an expiration date. Father, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this powerful message by Pastor Daryl Morgan. We hope it blesses you. If you would like more info on Word of Life, sermons, and free downloads, please go to wordoflifeapopka.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.